0: You're listening to Take as Directed, a podcast on global health policy and the news, events, issues, and the people it affects.
1: The problem is the world is in a shortage of vaccines.
0: and women is
1: the role because that maternal, child, and health, and nutrition... ...is what drives this disease and keeps it in the
0: dark. I'm Steve Morrison, director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. In this podcast, You'll hear conversations led either by me or by my colleagues, Sarah Allender, Janet Fleischman, and Nellie Bristol, who serve as recurring hosts. We interview leaders fighting against some of the biggest public health challenges of our time. March 24th was World TB Day, a World Health Organization-designated day of advocacy to raise awareness about the devastating health social and economic consequences of tuberculosis. In this episode of Take as Directed, I am joined by Dr. Eric Goosby, the UN Special Envoy on Tuberculosis. Dr. Goosby recently led a Lancet Commission on Tuberculosis, a two-year effort that has culminated in a long-form report titled, Building a Tuberculosis-Free World. We discussed some of the main findings of the report and what the next steps are in creating a world free of tuberculosis. Eric, thank you so much for joining us here at CSIS, and congratulations on the release of the Lancet Commission Report on Tuberculosis, Building a Tuberculosis-Free World. Congratulations.
1: Thank you, Steve. It's the culmination of almost two years of work. I have to say that when you put a group of experts in the same room, they act like experts in the same room. So we're herding cats there for quite a bit of it.
0: Well, I wanted to take this episode to really focus on the commission report, what's in it, how it's being received, particularly in some of the key high burden countries, talk a bit about some of the other related issues. This is a period of optimism, of a higher visibility to tuberculosis. We had the high level meeting last September. You were integral and at this very center of organizing that. We've got the sustainable development goals and now we have this commission report. There's still many uncertainties, many issues around the finances, particularly by the high burden countries themselves as to the commitment. Are they turning a corner? Are they making higher commitments? There's how to set expectations. You were here right after the high level meeting. We did a debrief on this and trying to talk about, well, we're setting the stage and we're rolling. We're not going to have an automatic transformation mm-hmm. of the behavior and practices of countries, but this is a longer issue. And of course, there's continue to be discussion around getting the tools, the vaccines, the diagnostics, those are some of the technological barriers. And of course, multi-drug resistant threats remains a serious issue. We've done a lot of work on that in North Korea of late in the last few months. So why don't we start with what was your purpose? What did you have in mind in launching this effort two years ago? What were your main goals?
1: You know, the commission was set up to establish a roadmap for the high burden countries for their response to tuberculosis. It was an attempt to compile in one document the burden of disease globally as reflected in the top 22 highest-burdened countries and to look at the evidence base both in prevention diagnostics and treatment to understand what that evidence base says should be the standard of care, and then to assess in each country how far along uh, they are in implementing that standard of care. The compilation of the evidence base was thorough. Uh, it attempted to look at this the spectrum of both individuals who are susceptible, get tuberculosis, and to match, The access points that the countries have created, how well are they interfaced or not with those special populations. Of the 10 million new infections annually, we then broke down in each country what portion of those 10 million uh, new infections are theirs and reside in their country. And of the 1.6 million deaths, what deaths resided in their country. Looked at their current portfolio, combination of prevention and treatment interventions, how well they were interfaced with the population, and then evaluated in a report card type format a assessment of where they are in the completion of that continuum of care and, and services. So what does
0: this tell us, this analysis, which has been missing, right? I mean this mm-hmm, is a mm-hmm. new contribution. This is a new effort at mapping the world in the way in the 22 high burden countries. So this is new and different.
1: It's new and different.
0: And what's the story it tells?
1: The story it tells is we have a partially responded to epidemic. We have a science base that is capable of identifying, entering, and retaining people in a much more aggressive manner than they currently are. And we have a acknowledgement and we analyze this in the piece of the strategies that have been used, although have been effective at dropping new infections and death significantly over a fifty year period. They have not done it at an accelerated rate. It's about a one and a half percent drop in incidence per year over the last fifty years. Better than no drop, but not an adequate drop by anyone's admission. And when you add up the prevention and treatment interventions and look at which ones are synergistic, additive, or detract, we make comments on the combination of interventions each country has and areas that need to be strengthened, improved, or even eliminated. I think what we end up with is a accurate, honest appraisal of what can be done, But we also are honest about the lack of political will and the lack of a concerted and sustained investment by most of the countries in their domestic pots.
0: So let me ask you, you're being very honest and realistic about what this diagnostic tells you in terms of the rate of decline is not high enough in order to turn things around. There's still huge gaps. And as you point out, it really comes down to political leadership and financial commitments in the the key high-burden countries. So – say a bit, where are you seeing the most promise, the most movement in Mm -hmm. change of attitudes at that level of state leadership and ministers of finance to sort of see this disease as as a high priority and as something that really is a threat to society, economic growth, prosperity, stability.
1: Well, I would say that India comes together in the last five years as the country that has acknowledged its burden of disease, which is the largest in the world, and with President Modi have realistically attempted to assess where they are in their response. India had a peculiar problem, although present in many countries, India, it was their biggest problem. Most of the people with tuberculosis decided that the private sector was where they wanted to receive care. They kind of voted with their feet. But the public sector was where the government had invested all of its money in standing up a primary system to respond, diagnose, and treat. The two didn't interact. Indeed, they became antagonistic. The public sector accused the private sector of fostering strategies that favored the development of resistance, people going on and off drugs, not completing therapies, not doing active aggressive case finding. All of those things which we know impact were not being done equally in the public and private sector. So India, with the political leadership leading it, decided to aggressively engage private sector physician networks, nursing networks in blending their service continuums of care and have demonstrated, with some help from the Gates Foundation, a nice demonstration of a blending of services does indeed increase the number of individuals you identify, enter, and retain. And just as importantly, it allows the private sector, which heretofore had not been part of the surveillance system, to be now brought in to identification of new cases, reporting of new cases, getting access to laboratory diagnostics that are accurate and rapid in identifying multi-drug resistant organism. So the correct drugs are started on day one and not after a drug failure. India has aggressively attempted to do this in a number of areas in the country and are now pivoting into moving to scale. They are not there yet in terms of funding all of it, but they have increased their funding by five times, which is huge. They won't be able to spend it that rapidly. And I think that the commitment of a 2020-2025 achievement of goals is more than aggressive, but we are gratified to see the leadership in India make these large leaps in where they believe they can be. I believe it will be very difficult for them to achieve the goals that they've set out for themselves. But I am I applaud their willingness to commit.
0: What can you tell us about South Africa?
1: So South Africa is another country that would be a good example of a country that has aggressively acknowledged its burden of disease. It's complicated because it's fueled by the co-infection, as in Kenya, of HIV. HIV has, in many areas in sub-Saharan Africa, HIV-infected people have high rates of co-infection with tuberculosis, 50 to 75 percent, depending on where you look. And that co-mingling of these two organisms has resulted in a additive morbidity and mortality figures. They're cumulative. They, They add to each other. They fuel each other. South Africa understood this really about seven years ago, increased its aggressive population testing, going out and looking for tuberculosis, either with skin testing or with chest x-ray strategies. Their Minister of Health, Matsoledi, Minister Matsoledi has been a champion of holding TB equal to HIV, which has gotten a lot of attention in South Africa. As you know, South Africa is one of the countries that is paying for all of its antiretrovirals. So they embraced the co-epidemic and tried on HIV platforms to expand TB diagnostic capability and are a great example of doing that. Mm-hmm. What about Russia? Yeah, Russia has a approach that is typical in the Eastern European countries of sanatorium. They mm-hmm. respond to their TB burden by putting them in sanatoriums and keeping them there for the duration of their six months of treatment or longer for MDR and XDR TB. They have also been slow or unwilling to identify high-risk populations and aggressively go after them. HIV, they have taken on, but drug use, the coepidemics of drug use, how that dovetails in with HIV as well, has not been as aggressively responded to. And as a result, they have an expanding edge of new infections that fall into that group.
0: And say a bit also about the special place of prison populations.
1: Prison populations do hold a unique threat to communities because in fact they are in a revolving door with a community. Men, women go into prison, get infected, and then come out and infect their loved ones, etc. And that revolving door phenomena is present in every country. TB and HIV both take advantage of this, and as we've said, they run in groups. But prison populations must be targeted. Injection drug-using populations, HIV-positive populations, mining populations, silicosis populations, all carry a higher risk for active disease with tuberculosis. The last pool that we talk about in the piece that is ignored is the acknowledgement that a third of the planet is infected with tuberculosis and asymptomatic with it. Most of those individuals will not develop active disease, but about 10% of them will over the duration of their life. And that remains an active reservoir of infection, new infection. A person gets infected with TB, contains it but as their immune system wanes, as they get older or develop an immune incompetency from HIV or from chemotherapy or from whatever pregnancy, the third trimester of pregnancy, your immune system wanes significantly. And those are times when TB reactivates and develops an active form of disease that infects that individual and progresses. But just as importantly, they become infective to others. And we have seen that this latent pool is a seed for ongoing infection, and we will not, in modeling exercises, take TB to its knees without addressing that latent pool. And
0: we still struggle to understand scientifically the mechanisms by which we, you move we from do, latency Steve, to activation.
1: We do, we have talked to NIAID, Dr. Fauci, about this at length. He has opened up a whole front now of new research on the immunologic markers of infection. What do your T cells do when you get infected with tuberculosis? How do they hold a memory of the response? How long does that memory last? And are there markers of protection that we can identify through noting which cells, which white cells respond to the infection? All of that's worked out in other diseases, but for tuberculosis was not engaged with. And it's a longer story, but TB has starts and stops more than I can count where a discovery resulted in an advance, but it wasn't followed up on. And I think it's an example of a disease that really created and stimulated great imagination in physicians and in the response to disease, in the interest in immunology, in the interest in infectious diseases, played a critical role in how we approach diagnosing infectious diseases. But because of the advances in these same societies in economics and housing and crowding and food and nutritional repletion in individuals, TB pulled back into the background in developed countries, even without a TB-specific program. And as a result, the interest and the resources waned. We are now acknowledging this. That was part of our history We need to acknowledge that and come back because we understand enough science to improve significantly and end this in a generation if we mobilize maximally, put all the tools on the table, and fund them in a sustained way. It's time for the global community to understand there's a shared responsibility with this. It's not going to be a disease that one country can eliminate, just as we saw with HIV. And we as global donors, as part of the donor community, need to understand that TB will be part of our agenda for many years to come, needs to be. And with that continued focus and with an additional infusion of domestic resources, we will get through the standing up of these delivery systems to eradicate, beat back, and stop tuberculosis in the next generation. We've done some
0: work uh, in the last year on North Korea and there, the threat of a multi-drug-resistant epidemic is very real, and it's one that figures in all of the discussions around providing external assistance in the midst of the escalating confrontation with North Korea and sanctions applications, maximum pressure, and the like. And it's one that has a poses a threat to the surrounding region, to China, South Korea, and others. And this is just one instance, but tell us a bit about where MDR-TB sits in the broader context of what you're trying to do here through the commission report?
1: MDR sits uh, in a central role. It is a threat that moves into a security analysis more than others and more than just drug-sensitive TB. And I think the support of it through security resources has been acknowledged and is growing. But I think – Multi drug resistant tuberculosis is something that is now at present in every country on the planet, but is concentrated in the Eastern European countries and in countries where diagnostics for identifying drug resistance at the initiation of TB treatment are not available. So, the ability to do PCR testing and see the presence of drug resistant TB before you initiate treatment. That key delay is thought to be one of the big reasons that MDR TB has increased at the rate it has. And now, in about, in studies that have come in in the last three years, they consistently are showing that you are likely to get multidrug resistant TB not by developing it from inappropriate use of the anti-mycobacterial drugs, going on and off of therapy inappropriately, restarting it but actually infected primarily from a person who harbors. And once that happens, and it has, uh, we're in a different battle.
0: The U.S. role, you've mentioned Tony Fauci's critically important role on the R&D agenda. This afternoon, USAID Administrator Mark Green will be giving a speech. He rolled out an initiative at the high-level meeting. AID plays a very important role. CDC plays a very important role. Say a bit more about the US contribution here on a global level. We have a very tiny number of cases each year, Mm -hmm. about Mm 10,000. We have under 100 MDR cases in our our country per year. We've done a very good job at screening and treating tuberculosis within our borders. But we also play a very important role globally in this. Say a bit about that.
1: Yes. The United States is one of the central supporters of countries in the whole global health portfolio. HIV, TB are large investments, malaria again as well, but the USAID and Center for Disease Control have maternal and child programs that we often don't talk about that actually have been up and running for many years and are now part of the staple of many countries as you move from Central and South America into African countries. The United States is the critical partner and has, for many reasons, seen itself as having a responsibility to respond to burden of disease in other countries, where other countries, European countries, see that role as less important. I think that the United States has always kept an eye on those less fortunate and have always been willing to use tax dollars to support responses to disease in other countries. Not just diseases that threaten the United States, but also diseases that threaten populations that are less able to respond themselves. And I think we can feel proud of that as a country.
0: Now, in this report, you're trying to push forward the idea of an accountability mechanism, an ability to track and compare progress across the 22 high burden countries. And so this is a first cut. Do we have a realistic prospect of having a continuous scorecard and evaluation system put in place, a mechanism that could on a year by year or every two years we could mm-hmm. come back and see where the performance is moving?
1: The commissioners feel strongly that this is needed. Mm -hmm. Our multilateral colleagues, understandably, are reacting to it like another monitoring system is not what I had in mind. But I think because of everything that we've talked about with tuberculosis, TB has been an elusive elf, and we need to understand its positioning with responses kind of in real time. That requires an expertise that is hard to convene. We just so happened to have convened 33 of the experts on the planet who are those people, and it struck us as a group that some version of this group would be the group that you would want to validate progress or non-progress. A trusted eye and analysis would be part of it. It is only helpful at the national level to actually call foul, say that there's a weakness, to say it at a multinational level does not have a response, a specific response. We understand that. We want the effort to the report card to result in a uh, identification of technical assistance and result in a technical assistance plan that comes out of it of strengthening. Its only utility is in that. It creates a stronger response and one that in the following year or two we look back on and assess progress. I think an independent analysis of that does make sense. It's not expensive or burdensome to do. The data collection is already occurring. It's the analysis that we need. So I feel that uh, this will happen. So in closing,
0: what's on your mind looking ahead? What's your biggest concern looking ahead?
1: I guess my biggest uh, hope is that this report and the high-level meeting and all of the efforts of WHO's TB office, CDC, Stop TB, that all of the efforts in the R&D arena for both diagnostics and new treatments continue, that the pipeline not be one or two drugs deep or two diagnostics deep, but to continue to evolve with changing needs of the populations that are burdened with this disease, and that we move to a global acknowledgement that we need not only to strengthen but to move to eliminating this disease over a generation, Within our lifetime, within our professional lifetime, something that we have shown through modeling is doable. Now we need to ask ourselves, why can't we? And that's a one country at a time effort, but a shared responsibility in the response.
0: Thank you so much. And congratulations on the commission report. Thanks, Steve.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode
0: of Take as Directed featuring Dr. Eric Goosby, UN Special Envoy on Tuberculosis. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss our latest episodes. If you want to learn more about upcoming events and our work, please visit the CSIS Global Health Policy Center program page.